0: Please work in partnership. It will make you a bigger success. And some people listening to this and saying, "Oh, she doesn't know the guy, you know, or the girl I have to deal with. All right, that's true. I have people like that. You have to also build relationships.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Behave podcast. My name is Joe Giddens. I'm a marketing director at CyberSafe. And today I'm joined by Janet Roberts. Janet is the former global head of security, education, and awareness for Zurich Insurance. Janet, it wouldn't be right of me to try and do your career justice. Um, So so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how we got here today? How we ended up here?
0: I have a journalism degree. I have a master's in communications. I did a lot of different jobs, journalist, media relations, paralegal. And I landed in internal communications at a domestic U.S. um, insurance company uh, where one of my clients was the security department. And I didn't know a lot about them, but from the beginning, I was fascinated and I was only supposed to give them 10% of my time. And finally, the CISO said to me, and this was in 2010, the CISO said, I want you to come over and build a security awareness program. And I said, I don't know what that is. Are you sure you don't want somebody that like knows what it is? You know, he said, no, you know, I want someone who can communicate to the employees because they can't understand what my staff's asking them to do. You know, so you can kind of translate and build a program. So I went over and I had a blast doing it. And I was sent to a SANS boot camp of some sort. And that's where I met Lance Spitzner. He wasn't teaching that class, but he was giving a session. Mm -hmm. And I went to it and I walked up to him and said, you know, I just started doing this. Do you know anybody else doing it that I could talk to? Because I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, right? He said he had a class, you know, so maybe I could take that at some point. And he also had just started what was then a listserv it's now yeah. evolved into the security human you know securing the human community that yeah. you know we all belong to yeah. and he said there were mostly IT people who had been this had been added to their job mm-hmm. and cool. uh, so he asked me to join and so I joined and I didn't know what they were talking about and that's how, when I realized neither do the employees you know <laughs> So then I just started making like tip sheets and I started talking back and forth and giving advice and all that. And and I moved on from uh, that company to a big credit card, you know, multinational global credit card company to redesign their program. And then while I was there, Zurich started to talk to me and they didn't have a program yet. Mm-hmm. And so I came there in 2015 and then I just, on August 31st, I just retired <laughs> from there. I may, I'm considering consulting down the road, but I need a little time off. And um, in my time off, I, I had written, I like to write novels in my spare time, and I had written one with a little bit of a cyber twist. So 1016 Press out of Wisconsin wants to publish it, and it'll come out in May Amazing. 2024. It's called What Lies We Keep. What lives
1: we keep, amazing. We will make sure to put a link to it in the in the description when we're done. So you ended your your security awareness career at one of the world's leading global insurers, building out what what I hear was a um, huge a a huge program, and 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 that's the point mature mature program.
0: Yeah, it's very mature, and also I've been in this industry for fifteen years, Mm. so I know a lot of people, but I also talk to new people starting to. And I'm going to say right up front, I don't know anybody who just has phishing and and annual training. That's it. And I think there's a misunderstanding that annual training is kind of boring. But Mm -hmm. we have to do it for audit purposes. But all the security awareness practitioners are doing loads and loads of other things. And there's also a misunderstanding that security awareness practitioners don't know what needs to go into showing behavior change. They do know what metrics need to go in. They just can't find either the support, the data analysis support, mm-hmm. or you know, the right vendor, mm-hmm. you know, to help them pull those pieces together in a certain way. And so now I see uh, with CybeSafe and a couple other vendors, very few coming out and showing ways to help support that, uh, showing the metrics, you know, for behavior change. So I, I would kind of object. It's a little insulting to some <laughs> of us to say that, you know, because. Um, unless the person's just sitting in compliance and their program should be moved, you know.
1: And and to give some context of, of what we're referring to here, we, we're looking at a, a Gartner research report called CISO Foundations Build a Culture of Security Consciousness. And it's an introduction to the Gartner Pipe Framework, which they describe as the practices, influences platforms and then those three things are surrounded by a series of enablers today we're going to dig into this report a little bit and pull apart some of the um, some of the things we find what we really want to do is compare the theory and and i guess where the theorists are saying it, it should be at with the the practitioners the people on the front line who are actually carrying out this work and pick apart some of the challenges practitioners are facing, but also some of the opportunities that they they might be seizing upon.
0: I like that report for this reason, because it's focused on the CISO audience. Mm -hmm. You know, it's talking to the CISO audience because that's who really owns the budget, who presents to the board of directors, who speaks to the CFO. I do like their framework. There's a lot of frameworks out there that address different pieces and parts, MITRE framework for the cyber folks, NIST framework for overall for mm-hmm. you know information security. So I like to see them addressing the CISOs directly. I like that about that report. Yeah.
1: And I guess the one of the the first things that stood out for me or for me from the report was the first line in the enablers section, which is gaining executive support. It's something a lot of programs struggle with, dare I say, but I also think there's a lot that can be done in terms of the language that's used, what you say and how you say it, that can really help your cause as a practitioner in this case. So I guess my question to you is like, what are your tips, tricks and pitfalls for for people going to the exec team or the board, um, wanting sponsorship for a program or support with a program?
0: Don't come in with a vendor's marketing slides. (laughs) Come in with, this is the business case, that's what you want. This is where I see this is going to benefit or close a gap, those sorts of things. These are the metrics I think you're going to get to be able to take up to the board and up to other folks. This is what it's going to cost over a period of time. So, for instance, in 2022, uh, my team partnered, and it's a lot of partnership. Don't ever be my way or the highway, or I'm going to figure all this out all by myself, like in a little hole. And then I'm going to come out and say, guess what? We should do this. This is the vendor we should have this Mm -hmm. way. Um, Go partner. So we had information security strategy team, really smart folks over there, my friend Robert, outstanding. And so we partnered with him to talk to multiple vendors. SideSafe was one of them. Mm -hmm. And say, uh, let's talk about the advantages, the disadvantages. We ended up making a big chart with what we thought were the top ones, and we ranked them you know, one, two, three, four, and the advantages and disadvantages, and then made a recommendation. This is why we recommend this one. Maybe one and two are equally good, but two is so expensive, we we couldn't get that funding. Hmm. Because also, the security awareness officer's CISO is going to probably have to ask for additional funding if you're asking to do something extra. Or they're going to have to look at their overall budget and say, well... And in budgets right now, don't have a lot of overage. So you you need to think like a CISO and think what is the business case? What's the advantage? Do the advantages outweigh the disadvantages? Is the price reasonable, you know, to start out? If you're at a huge multinational or global and you hire a vendor, it might take six months or nine months to stand it up. So let's say now you should be thinking about a three-year contract. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it might take you a chunk of the first year, not only to stand it up, but then to work out the glitches and to run things and to answer the business units and to figure out a lot of different pieces and parts. So what you want to be coming to your CISO with is not, you know, let's try a few online escape room games or something for a year is this is the overall strategy And these are the people that I talked to and partnered with. You have to go out and get a small team of smart people who have some stake in this. So my tip is please work in partnership. It will make you a bigger success. And some people don't partner. So that's understandable. People are listening to this and saying, Oh, she doesn't know the guy, you know, or the girl I have to deal with. All right. That's true. I had people like that. You have to also build relationships so that you understand who understands doing it for the good of the company and the threat landscape and all that kind of stuff.
1: It's important during this process to, to communicate using like the outcomes and the benefits expected from the program in the language that executives and boards, right. Um, right. I think as the report says, use to critique their own performance. Like, I I don't know how many boards or executives are measured based on how many phishing click rates or training completions that that are done during a year. It's, it's probably none. So like, take, like you say, taking these vendor metrics and trying to present them as, as a program success metric, you're fighting a losing battle.
0: Yeah. Phishing metrics are the go-to because they're quantitative. And a lot of the metrics that happen when you're dealing with human beings can be qualitative, like Mm -hmm. surveying your ambassador teams, you know. However, maybe I've just been in a big mature program for too long, but I don't know practitioners that are just measuring click rates. I do know, we did too, that with the business units, you have to get them off of the click obsession, we Mm -hmm. call it, Mm -hmm. you know, and tell them somebody's always going to click but it's the, did they report only? Mm -hmm. And then what's the resiliency rate, you know, looking at the report only against the clicking and how resilient are we? And those are the metrics that should be highlighted going to the board, you know, and the more you highlight them, the better. And if you want to make competition or we have top reporters in fishing at Zurich, and you know, that's, um, that's a good thing to help people. And when you want employees to participate Sure, you can give them an iPad or whatever if you have the budget. But <clears throat> what's even better is to give them a badge that goes right in their signature line and shows they did well for the whole year. And when you congratulate them, copy their manager. Mm-hmm. If you like we had regional CISOs. So we let the regional CISOs know, hey, these people all did great all year. They didn't click all year. Mm-hmm. You know, could you send them a note or something? Well, well, when they do their self-assessment. For their raise and their rating and everything at the end of the year, this is something really valuable, you know. If they understand that they can put that in there and say, "Look, oh, what a good job I did," you know.
1: Yeah, and this and this is uh, talks to another part of the report, which is it engaging the vision or engaging vision with with the people on the um, on the shop floor, for want of a better phrase. So, this is word that, uh, or phrase that's been knocking around for a few years now. Security is everyone's responsibility. I mean. It is, but it's not their top priority. It's always gonna be trumped by whatever their their targets or incentives or outcomes are in their role. And the other thing that I've, I don't like this phrase is because it's too vague. It doesn't really know, mm-hmm. it doesn't really tell people what they actually need to do. Like what behaviors do they need to exhibit in, in order to make a difference?
0: And I think, you know, for a long time, we've done with them, what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. So you try to give them personal with the professional. And that works fairly well. And then now it's moving into how do we move the needle in culture? Well, I think it's the human beings on the shop floor, as you said, that move the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, the security awareness person keeps trying different things. Um, You also can't bring one size fits all. Okay, we're all going to play a game. Then we're going to look at the metrics, and it's going to tell us something. Well, some people don't want to play a game. Mm -hmm. And some people don't want to read a tip sheet. And some people, you know, so you have to be a flexible thinker and you also have to meet people where they consume the information in the language that they best understand it because your goal is that they retain it and then they act on it. A
1: couple of webinars ago, we were speaking with Ava Woods from from Raytheon. We were talking about the whole start with why message, Simon Sinek, the golden circle. But she raised a really good point. She said, you can't really start with why until you know who so perhaps start with who and then you can work out your why
0: so i love simon Sinek. i watch all this stuff i Mm -hmm. think it's great i agree with the start with why on some levels but i actually would love to talk to him about why you don't start with how okay because you can tell me why yeah i know there's cyber criminals i read the news you can tell me why and of course it's all the who's, right? It's all the employees. 80,000 who's, you know, in Whoville or whatever. <laughs> but if you don't tell me how to do it, I'm just like, oh, okay, you know. So I would say you start with how. Okay. how. okay. Maybe you can start with who. Who is it? How did they do it? Mm-hmm. You know, because no one really cares about why they should do it if you're not going to tell them how to do it.
1: Right. Going back to this, security is it's everyone's responsibility, but it's not necessarily their top priority.
0: Exactly. In journalism, they used to teach, it's always been taught, the lead of the story is who, what, where, when, why, and how. Mm -hmm. Okay. So take your five W's and H and decide. Maybe I don't like to be hardline about something, so maybe it's not always the how. Mm -hmm. Maybe in some situations it's not. But people do need to know how to do something. I will say, as a practitioner, and I see a little bit of this because there's quite a few in the United States, try to un-Americanize yourself. (laughs) It was a good and I was good for me. I learned all kinds of different cultures. I had to I had to stop myself and I had people on my team and I'd say, look at this, is it too Americanized? You know, maybe then the business units in the United States would like to buy it for themselves or use it for themselves or whatever. But globally, if my person in Spain or Argentina or Dublin said, I don't understand the American humor, I don't understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's not working for me then it's not working. So I also, this is a tip when you're trying to pick a product or pick how you're going to do something, get volunteers if they're, if you're global in your ambassadors somewhere else and say, I want you to look at this and tell me, you know, do you like it? Do you not? Is it too American? Does it meet your culture? Does Is it offensive in your culture? Mm-hmm. You know, do that. You may end up with something that's a little more bland or like in, you know, in America, they might be like, what boring or something. But you need to be really thoughtful about that. That's the who. Who is it, but not only who are they, how do those who's consume information and retain it?
1: Yeah, this there's such, and this is something we learned on the on the CyberSafe journey. There's a huge difference between translating something and localizing something. When we, we first deployed a piece of content a few years ago, people got back to us and said, what's a post box? Like, we don't have post boxes over here. We have mailboxes. And it was just s- small things like that, which might just alienate someone from from engagement or the, or the conversation. So what you're saying is is, is so so key if, if if you're talking about engaging people contextually and, and locally mm-hmm. in a way to, to really attract and, and hold their attention.
0: Yeah, we used to look at some of our materials uh, or things that came in and say, OK, this is in British English. Mm-hmm. And... We're going to have to do a little quick run through for Americans, uh, so that you know we kind of we kind of shift it a little bit for some words and things like that. I do also. We're talking about this report, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there's a lot of reports out there. Some of them are really great, and some of them have one focus, you know, just on fishing, like proof points and whatnot. But I I do what I do see, and I guess it's because I've been around so long. <laughs> so uh, what I see is there's now two groups. There's a group of people who make they're both valuable. Mm-hmm. They make great reports and theories and frameworks and things to use. And then there are the, are the actual practitioners in the trenches in the field doing it. And the practitioners find the theories and things interesting, but often they're missing pieces, practical pieces of how of how what you have to do to get there and the politics and all the things that a, a average person doing the job, you know, knows about. And there isn't yet anybody who's building a bridge between the two, or the groups trying to build a bridge. Sometimes the problem with that is, and it may be for Gardner or Forrester or anyone, that they're they have clients, and so they're surveying their clients. So I would point out for this report, they surveyed uh, about thirteen hundred people, mm-hmm. and they got about one hundred and fifty four hundred and fifty nine responses. SANS surveyed only security awareness practitioners, and they got 2,000 responses. What if Gartner worked with SANS to get a better pool of actual people in the trenches? So I think to myself, what an opportunity if they would say it doesn't have to just be our client base to partner with someone else who's doing this, who's getting a richer response, you know, and a bigger response, because I'm going to give you an example. Every single one of them, every one of them says, you know, we need better data analysis. The security awareness officers need to do data analysis. They need to do more data analysis, blah, 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 blah. That once about three years ago, no names. Uh, there was a guy who said, I was at a CISO conference and the CISOs were so mad that they weren't getting data analysis that they thought they should fire their security awareness officers or something like that. And I was so mad at that guy. Like I wanted to say, well, why you were standing there? I (laughs) will, you know, me with my mouth, I would probably would have said, well, wait a minute, you know, you need to provide the data analysis support for the security awareness officer. And here's, here's a really logical reason why. To be a really good security awareness officer, you need to be a flexible thinker because there's constant change. Maybe you've plotted out all the topics you're going to do, and suddenly threat intelligence says, "Uh uh-oh, we see something in the wild. You need to make a shift, make a shift, make a shift. You've always got to be shifting for the different cultures. You've always got to be thinking that way. So that's why they recommend communication, psychology, marketing, to be a really good data analyst, you need to be a linear thinker. You know, what's the metrics? Qualitative, quantitative. How do we put it here? How do we put it together? How do we put it out in a report? Those are about two different types of people and two different types of ways of thinking.
1: Yeah, and just on this point, the the bridge between the theorists and the practitioners, I would throw into the conversation that I think it is, in some respects, bridged by the platforms, the vendors, perhaps the consultancies who who have the, the the cash and the time to actually think about this theory and, and build it into reality.
0: And that's recent. Hmm. So SlideSafe's recent, Culture AI's AI recent, Elevate yeah. Security isn't recent, but they've made changes. There are only a few vendors that are able to come in and bridge that gap in a way that with the nudge theory you know, with nudging employees Mm -hmm. and this, and that the the other thing I wanted to bring up too is when you're talking to vendors, this is a tip for them. Not only do you want a business reason and you want to partner with all the right people, but think five year strategy or three to five years. Are you going to tell the board of directors that your employees are going to play online escape room games for five years Mm -hmm. and you're going to get lovely metrics from all these hookups? Mm -hmm. And then when you, when the metrics come in from the hookups, guess what? your security awareness team is going to have to sort through that and figure it out all by themselves. and it's only going to still come from the same source. Mm-hmm. So that's not a bad source and but that to me would be a one to two year solution. And then now they've had enough. they don't want to play that game anymore, try something else. Whereas when you come in with you know one minute micro learnings, you nudge them, they take responsibility. They're like, oh, who says I don't know anything about <laughs> ransomware? I'm going to check this out. And you have the hookup and the vendor provides pulling that data and saying, this is what we're seeing. And then maybe working with like the cyber data management dashboard or whatever that the company already has to enhance, to mature, to like give a really rich focus, then that's a really positive, you know thing. And there's only a couple vendors doing that. So, yeah, you're right. The vendor can can provide that bridge and that support. And I think the vendor understands better than the theorists because they're in there what the security awareness officer has to go through to present this as an option, to argue it as a good option, to get all the buy-in from all the people. You know, when I was doing that, it was security architecture because guess what they have to have they have to give their resources to set you up Mm -hmm. then cybersecurity team they have to make sure you have the api hookups they have to give their resources from lean teams to set that up so they all have to like the option and you have to ask for the money and that goes all the way up to the top so i do think the vendors you're right because not only are the vendors building the bridge but they're also able to see the security awareness practitioner doing each piece.
1: Yeah, and, and like you say, that there are a, a few doing it. We think we're one of them. And, and you've called out a couple of others, really good, really good other, other companies as well. Probably the most important point here is you and your vendor or selection of vendors really want to be presenting this um, together as a business case. and And your vendor really should be able to Point two, the language and the tools that boards and executives are used to seeing. Risk dashboards, probability, likelihood, impact. And these are the types of words and and phrases which are thrown around regularly in boardrooms. And if you're not doing that, that's where I think you're going to meet a hurdle which might be too, too difficult or just too big to overcome.
0: And it's also knowing your own company. If I was not at Zurich, if I was in an only American company or I was only, you know, there's a few people that just are assigned to be point person for a business unit. Mm-hmm. Well, if that business unit is only North America, so that's only English or maybe English and French Canadian, mm-hmm. right? You don't, you can talk to someone with more gamified learning that only has two languages or three languages. You don't care if the humor is Americanized Mm -hmm. or the slang is Americanized because it works, but you you need to be always thinking that the goal is learn, retain, act on.
1: And, And ultimately we're changing behavior. That's what we're trying to do here. What needs doing? What is happening now? And what's the gap to close that?
0: And you know, I also hear these recommendations that you should You know, use an incident or something that happens and all that. That's also true, but that's someone who hasn't been a practitioner. When you're in there, the CISOs may say, no, we're not going to upset the whole employee population over something that just involved patching, all happened behind the scenes, isn't in the news media. If it gets in the news media or if they start asking a lot of questions, then you want to be very careful to give them an alert. And mostly only be aware, but or if there's an action item for them. You know, employees can take screenshots. They can, they understand a lot, but they don't understand always, you know, what not to. So the CISOs are always careful about making the company more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to think about, it, you know, vulnerability. It, you want to educate them and you want to help them and you want them to do good things. You want them to feel ambassador involved, but you don't always take, something big and blast it out there. Media relations would probably have your neck in about 10 minutes, and I wouldn't blame them because I used to work in media relations in another lifetime, you know.
1: And, and this this was actually the first question I had written down for you. In in your experience, what have been some of the most effective deployments of your cash and time doing what you've been doing over the last few years? And I would say beyond the the compliance-driven um, things, beyond the training, beyond the fishing, what else is out there?
0: Some of the most effective would be on a bigger scale, uh, making role-based like uh, privileged user training and then making that mandatory was very painful. It took a long time. One of the best ones that we didn't expect to be as effective was, and this comes back to partnerships. So we asked the red team, the offensive security team, who we really like and we've had on live teams, Mm -hmm. um, to make us a password cracker that didn't retain the passwords, Mm -hmm. didn't Mm -hmm. go outside of the company. And they thought that was a fun project for them. They were kind of excited. You know, everybody does the same things in their job to get up, you know. So they built us this password cracker where, if you put your password in, it didn't get saved or anything, but it, it turned around a result that said, like, oh, it would take three centuries to crack your password. Or, oh, your password can be cracked in two minutes, right? And p- employees went nuts. They really did. And they didn't want people to look over their shoulder and see when they were doing it. Mm-hmm. And they were embarrassed or they were excited. They bragged about it. Guess what? Mine's better than, you know, everybody else's. And they started to think about their password and to change it. But that was very successful and we got a request to put it in new joiner, you know, packages and different things like that to use it for people to have a moment of fun that engages them and then we led it to, here's how, how you make a strong password.
1: It's such a good example of the the difference between Telling someone what to do and, and experiencing that pushback because no one likes being told yeah. what to do yeah. and, and just leading them to the edge and then letting go of their hand and and at that point, inspiring them and, and then they take that last step because you've inspired them to a point where they're like, oh, I get it. I'm not as good as I need to be. What can I do to make that better?
0: And during the pandemic, everyone was forced to go online. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the better things that we did as well. We were kind of half there, half off, you know, and you couldn't do in-person things anymore. So we started using Teams to make live Teams events. And that went really well. We learned how to do it as a team and then started inviting guests like, ask me anything. Mm -hmm. This is our White Hat Hackers. Did you know we had those? come behind the curtain, you know, with uh, with the Wizard of Oz, right? And see, and uh, they, they really, we got big attendance for those sorts of things. So sometimes I hear people in the theorist category make remarks like, oh, you know, this one company had tables in the cafeteria. And I think to myself, okay, if they only have one location mm-hmm. and people come in the office, that's great. In-person still is really good. But... Uh, Nine times out of 10, maybe it's your German business unit. If you have people coming in the office in Berlin, but you have five other satellite offices and you have X amount of people, who's not getting getting talked to? So in-person has value, but it's a little old school unless you're going to hook it up virtually and you're going to figure out how to have both together. And the pandemic taught us that in a lot of people still work remotely, you know, and you have to be able to think strategically about uh, this is a great idea.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we're in a sort of a, a time where you can take these things almost as as metaphors for and, and what does that look like digitally?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, really moving more towards AI and an app on your phone and all those sorts of things, you know, everybody's uh, moving in that direction. And so um, I think You have to be thinking that way, which goes back to you're much better at this job if you're a flexible thinker. Now, I'm not a technical person, so I had to challenge myself to un-Americanize and get a little more technical, but not to be so technical that I couldn't translate from tech speak to that.
1: What would be your advice to someone who's just starting out uh, with one of these programs, maybe not necessarily starting out in the industry, but they've just arrived they're fresh in an organization and they're challenged with taking an organization from relatively an immature point to something that's going to do the, the, the thing that we need it to do, which is reduce risk.
0: Um, so the first thing I would tell you to do is get SANS uh, chart, you know.
1: The maturity spectrum, the, the SANS maturity model. Yes. You
0: no, know, I've been using it for 15 years and I used this, this I used for leadership. Mm-hmm. So then I put an arrow right where you are at and a little text box that said 2015, okay? And then every time I showed it to them, if we moved a little bit, I put an arrow with the current year so that they would see, oh, we're, we're you show we're getting some success, but then they see, oh no, we're not where we need to be. And when you show that chart, you need to say, these are the things that are working well, and this is what we need to do to get up to the full maturity this is what we're not able to do and why you're not able to do it don't ever come in with a complaint without a solution don't ever do that because nobody will listen to you uh, the other thing they need to do right from the beginning is make friends with the cyber team a- ask for one-on-ones with the head of threat intelligence once a month have a one-on-one with the head of threat intelligence if you have strategy team In you know talk to them, and then also start talking to the communications people. If somebody feels like a hard blocker, then try to go around and find someone who wants to partner with you because you have to build partnerships and you have to have a big network. And when you come to your CISO, you can't come with everything that's wrong. You have to be able to come with, this is what we've got so far. This is where we need to go. And this is what I think we, this is what I've done to start that process. Here's a recommendation from the head of cyber threat intelligence that I think is really good. And I think we could move in that direction.
1: Yeah, that first point is, is, I think, so important, because what I think a lot of people have a tendency to do is look at what's not working, and try and fix it, which is a great thing to do. But what's often overlooked in that process is looking at what's working and doing more of it. And, exactly. and if you can correlate what is working to reduce risk, then double down on what's working and, and, and see if that reduces the risk anymore or sends, sends the graphs in the right direction.
0: And don't try to take everything on yourself. For instance, on Facebook at Work or Yammer, if you're posting things and then trying to get people to share and all that, and somebody asks a question you can't answer, if you made a good relationship with your cyber team, which we used to do, we would ping one of them and say, hey, would you mind jumping on there and answering that? Because it's a little over what we think we can credibly answer on our own. Or sometimes our CISO did it. Mm-hmm. And it, that, that gave us credibility, you know, for what the work we were doing there. Uh, so I think the partnerships and, and the um, working together make people part of what you're doing, especially if they have a vested interest in you succeeding. Mm-hmm. And they will respect you for that. Um, A title is a string of words. Mm -hmm. It may give you a little bit of power, but it does not give you influence. What gives you influence is making partnerships, being ethical, talking to people, and building respect for yourself.
1: I think that's a great way to finish. So the the report we're talking about, you will find a link in the description of this podcast so you can access a copy. And maybe, Janet, why don't you just say the title of your book one more time and Uh, let us know when it's coming out.
0: Yet it doesn't have a book jacket yet. We're working on that. It's called What Lies We Keep. I suppose if you follow me on Instagram, which is Janet Roberts 77, if you look like a bot, I'm going to take you down. So (laughs) just know. But um, you can follow me on Instagram. So May 7th, 2024, it's going to come out globally on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble and then probably independent bookstores in the United States. So
1: Very excited. Janet, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Joe. It's great.